0: Yeah, like Pastor Kyle said, my name's Garrett. If we haven't met, I have the privilege of being the worship pastor here. And it has been an incredible five or six months um, since I started that position as a worship pastor. It has been awesome learning, being developed. Uh, our technical director, Brian, has just been an incredible um, insight into that new position that I've taken. And I'm really grateful that the church continues to take a chance on a kid like me. Um, and so... We've been in this series, just going to hop right into it. We've been in this series um, going over John Baker's book, Life's Healing Choices. Um, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Adam have been doing an amazing job leading us through the content that's in this book. Can we just give it up for Pastor Kyle and Pastor Adam just for a minute? They have been doing an incredible job leading us through this content, and without them, I mean, without their leadership, I don't know where I would be in ministry right now. I'm very grateful for them. But in this book... There is a series of eight choices, all leading us to healing from life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so far, this is where we've been. The first thing we did was we went over the reality choice. We had to admit our needs. We had to make the difficult choice of admitting that we're powerless to control our tendencies to do the wrong thing and that our lives are unmanageable. The second choice was the hope choice. Here we reiterated our belief in Jesus, or maybe some of us started our belief in Jesus for the first time. But we also rediscovered that we matter to him and that he has the power to help us recover The third choice was the commitment choice we here We decided to let go and pastor adam did an incredible job preaching this message here We committed our lives and our wills to christ's care and control and last week We examined the house cleaning choice. We decided it was time to come clean We confessed our faults to ourselves to god and hopefully to someone that we trust, a trusted friend. And today we're turning the page, getting into sort of the nitty-gritty work of restoration and healing. Today we are focusing on the transformation choice. We're talking about making changes. And the subpoint that John Baker gives us is to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Anybody in here not have any character defects? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me, uh, me too. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, but we've all got character defects, right? And so the question that I want to ask us as we're getting into today's message is, is there anyone in here who loves change? First thing I think of when it comes to change is changing a poopy diaper. My son is one year old. Anybody in here like doing that? Pastor Kyle is the guy to go to. If you don't like doing that, he totally told me before he would totally do it. You, li- you like changing your tone of voice whenever someone's irritated you. You like changing the way that your house is. Maybe some of you like to rearrange your home, but then your spouse probably doesn't like doing that thing. Um, there's a lot of us in here who really just don't love the concept of change. So speaking of changes, if you wouldn't mind flattering me for just a few minutes with your excitement to be a part of the Sunday morning sermon, I want all the men in the room if you would flatter me, please, to stand up if you're able. If you're able. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the stage. I'm not going to ask you to sing a song. Don't worry. None of that stuff is about to come. But I want you to reach into your back pocket and grab your wallet. Some of you call it a billfold. My dad calls it a billfold. I left mine somewhere. I don't know where it's at. I'd be doing this with you. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I want you to do with your wallet, hold it up in the air. Everyone who's got one, I want you to take it and stick it in your front pocket. Yeah. Yeah. You can all sit down. (laughs) So after doing this, we've done two things. One, we've changed, right? It's marginally uncomfortable, but you did it. And science would prove that it's going to help your back a little bit in the future, right? The second thing that we've done, and this is probably the more important part of this, the second thing that we've done is we've identified all the psychopaths in the room who already keep their wallet in their front pocket. I'm looking out here. I'm trying to look for those people. Um, That's what we've done, men. Ladies, don't think I've forgotten about you. If you're able, please stand. Now, I think the Lord purposefully made the female gender more, i got to be careful, complex, in a good way. I'm telling you this in a good way because men are very simple. Most of the time, we're not very smart. And he made you more complex on purpose. So it was really difficult for me to find something that's just as simple as taking your wallet out of your back pocket and sticking it in your front pocket, right? So this is what I want us to do, ladies. Um, For some of you, this may be more uncomfortable than others, but I want you to get your cell phone if you've got one. If you don't, you're off the hook. Nice. Um, I want you to take your cell phone, and I want you to hand it to the person on your right. If you don't have a person on your right, hand it to the person on your left. And if you don't have a person on your right or your left, hand it to the person in front of you or behind you. Hand your cell phone to somebody. And if you've got a phone from somebody that you don't know or somebody that you do know, I want you to open it up and start reading their text messages. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. You can actually give them their phone back. But I wanted to, wanted to make you really uncomfortable for just a moment. Because I make the men a little uncomfortable too, right? You can all sit down if you haven't already. Now, let's all agree, those changes that I asked you to do don't really matter much in the grand scheme. Most of us will continue to put our wallet in our back pocket. We'll, we'll keep our phones. We're not just going to hand a random person or probably maybe our spouse um, our phone all the time to let them fiddle through our text messages. Most of those things have little to no impact in our lives. But what about the difficult changes? The ones that take a little more coaxing or a little more than just coaxing from a guy on a stage to do. Now, there's a story I want to tell you about today about a kid who ended up in the pig pen literally before he was willing to change, and that's the story of the prodigal son. If you'll flip there with me in your Bibles, or if you'll go on your phone to the Bible app, it's in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I was going to put all these verses up on the screen for you, but that would be a lot of content up there. So if you can, look that up, put to it on your Bible, get it on your phone, and follow along with me. I'll be reading um, in the NIV, but I will read it to you. Follow along or simply sit back and listen. Here's the story of the prodigal son. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... Some of us need to come to our senses sometimes, right, before we finally figure it out. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Pause for a minute. There's this, in some translations, there's like this really powerful moment where the son is like trying to explain himself. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But in some translations, it literally inputs an interruption where the father had so much compassion and love for his son, he interrupted him before he could even explain himself. That in the NIV, it says this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music, he heard the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound.'" Now the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends.'" But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. I love, I love, I love the story of the prodigal son. And you know, in this book... John Baker gives us, he kind of contends that every person with character defects has three general things that have gone on in their lives, right? We see in the story of the prodigal son that this kid has something going on, right? He's got some character defects, or why else would he want to run off and do the things that he was doing? So there's three things that John Baker points out for us, and I've listed them here. First is chromosomes, second is circumstances, and third, is choices. You can tell that John Baker is a pastor. He's always trying to start things with the same letter to make them memorable, right? First is chromosomes. Now, we have to understand that each of these three things contribute an indelible part to the negative patterns we have in our lives. Our biology as human beings not only comes with the sin nature given to us when Adam and Eve sinned, but we also inherit a genetic code that can leave us predisposed to certain behavior. Now, here I'm not trying to say that our genetic code makes it so that way, if our parent was an addict, now we're an addict. Or if our parent struggled with anger or our grandparent struggled with anger, now we're no doubt going to struggle with anger. But I know that most of you in here have heard, oh, they've got anger like their dad or like their grandpa, or they struggle with alcoholism just like their great-grandparents did and just like their grandparents did. Most, and some of you have heard stories like this, and that's the idea behind our chromosomes. Of, it's not a predisposition isn't a guarantee, and John Baker says it like this. This predisposition doesn't give us an excuse to act out inappropriately because we are still responsible for our behaviors. Now, the second thing is our circumstances. Now, this can be our childhoods growing up, the way that we lived, or the circumstances that we are living in now. They leave us with needs, as John Baker would say, that, try, that we try to fill by using unhealthy coping mechanisms. All of us have a need, a, 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 something that God put in us, right? This foundational part of ourselves that, that needs respect. As human beings, we are respectable because that's who we are. God put that in us. But maybe growing up, You didn't receive the respect that you are due. Or maybe now you're in a relationship and you don't feel respected. And so sometimes and oftentimes what we do is we fill that need for respect or whatever else it might be, fill in the blank. We fill that need with some sort of unhealthy coping mechanism. Some people might turn to drugs. Some people might turn to alcohol. Some people might turn to shutting off their spouse or their friends. Some of these unhealthy coping mechanisms are due or these character defects are due to the circumstances that we grew up in or the circumstances that we've faced or are facing now. And John Baker says it like this. Many of our current character defects are actually self-defeating attempts to satisfy our unmet needs. And third, the choices we make. This is the only thing we can really do something about, right? Um, it's our hang-ups, our habits. They're developed because we repeat negative choices. Now, it's important to clarify here that our choices may have been influenced ...by our chromosomes and circumstances, influenced by how we grew up or how we were born. But ultimately, we can't change or influence those things. The way that our parents raised us, we can't change that. The way that we grew up, we can't change that. How we were born, we can't change that. But what we can change are the choices that we make. And so John Baker asks this question. Why does it take so long to get rid of our character defects? And we're going to continue to build tension here. I hope you guys aren't hoping on leaving anytime soon because there's more tension to be built here. And the first thing John Baker would say is because we've had them for so long, you know, normalcy, we've done something over and over and over again. So it just becomes habit and we continue to do it. Now I've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old at home and a one-year-old kid. And so yelling at my kids kind of becomes something that I do relatively often. Nobody else in here has ever yelled at their kids, right? I feel like I'm the only one who's ever done that. Um, but a little bit of brain science research will show you that repeated behaviors followed up by a good feeling or getting what you want keeps us stuck in the same process until eventually we consciously decide to change that. So let's take yelling at your kids for example, something that if you're a parent, many of you have done before. Um, if you try getting down on their level and talking with them, as you know some people do. And you've tried explaining your decision, why you said no, why they keep saying why, and you keep trying to explain it to them, and you get frustrated, but you get down on their level, and you're trying to explain it to them. Two- and three-year-olds are very difficult to reason with, Um, but it doesn't work, right? You try to be soft. You try to be kind. You try to be quiet, and it doesn't work. And so... The next time something like this happens, you raise your voice and they move a little bit quicker. You know, you ever seen a two or three year old move a little bit quicker because their mom or dad yelled at them and you realize that you got exactly what you wanted. When you raised your voice, you got what you wanted. There was a choice that you made reinforced by a good feeling of getting what you wanted. And so the next time that your child doesn't do what you want them to do or they're not being safe, you're a little bit more likely to raise your voice at them. Until eventually you get to the point where that becomes something that you... How did I get to screaming at my kids all the time about everything? And that's how we develop, oftentimes, negative character defects. The second thing is because every defect has a payoff, right? This is exactly what I was just explaining. If it didn't work or feel good you would have stopped doing it by now. Can I get an amen? If, 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 if yelling at your kids didn't work, you probably would have already stopped it because nobody wants to yell at their kids all the time, right? Every defect has a payoff. The third thing is because the enemy discourages our efforts to change. You know, no matter what we do, no matter where we go, there's going to be someone somewhere discouraging our change, this transformation, this voluntary trying to submit this character defect to God, this hurt, this habit, this hang-up that we want to change. There's going to be someone somewhere trying to fight against us. And if it's not physically, if we don't have haters, as the kids would call it, this is in the unseen world. There's always somebody whispering in our ear, stop, it's not worth it. We've always done it this way. Don't. And last, and I think most importantly, is because we confuse our defects with our identity. And we need to pause here for a minute because this brings us back to the story of the prodigal son. Someone in here needs to hear that your patterns and behaviors, that when when someone hurts you or you hurt them, that thing that haunts you, that resentment that you keep holding on to, that depression that continues to haunt you, whatever it might be, that's not who you are. You know, God loves you even in your worst, worst moment. And when the prodigal son came home, he didn't have to immediately confess to his father. He didn't have to work hard. He didn't have to ask his forgiveness. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to go out in the fields, meet with his brother, ask his brother how to confess his sins and get right with his dad. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. You realize he was on his way there, probably hanging his head filthy, dirty, smells like a pig pen. And his father runs to him, and in other translations says, falls on his neck and kisses him. He didn't have to do any of that stuff to be met by his father's embrace. His father was simply overjoyed that he was coming home. So, for that someone in here who's confused your defect with your identity, I want to tell you, don't get lost in believing that your hurt, your habit, or your hang up is who you are. Right. Come home, and I guarantee you'll be met the same way that the prodigal son was. Now, Let's not forget that this is a gathering of God's people. This message is about hope. It's not just about the the negative character defects that we have and these patterns that we've developed over time because they're normal, because we confuse our defects with our enemy, with our identity, because we have an enemy, right? That's, That's not what this is all about, this negative stuff. It is about hope. This is a gathering of God's people, right? So John Baker concisely lays out seven steps to help us, to help cooperate with God as we Work on our character defects now. I'm just going to list these here for you Because I don't want to spend 10 hours and waste a bunch of your time explaining all of these things and reading the book back to you But I will stop on a couple of them to give a little quip here and there We're going to go through them really quick The first thing is focus on changing one defect at a time remember this is how we can cooperate with God to work on our character defects. The first thing is focus on one defect at a time. Craig Rochelle, he's, a, he's planted Life Church. He's out of Oklahoma City. He has this podcast, and he mentions in this leadership podcast that he tries to change one thing a year, and he started this 15 years ago. So the last 15 years, he's changed 15 things about himself, and that's the point, right? If you focus on one, or if you focused on 15 defects all at once, you may not finish or fix one of them. But if you focus on one defect and give it a year, there's a pretty good chance that you'll change it. The second thing is focus on victory one day at a time, which can be really difficult at times because we've got that enemy always whispering in our ear. But focus on victory one day at a time. The third thing is focus on God's power, not your willpower. Remember what we said earlier, if you had the power to do it, you would have done it already. The fourth thing is focus on the good things, not the bad. This is very simple. Pastor Kyle is so good at being optimistic and focusing on the positive. I am more of a pessimist at heart. Don't tell anybody. Um, Pastor Kyle really good at focusing on the good. And John Baker would say that when you're cooperating with God to help change the way that your character is, this character defect that you want to change, we got to focus on the good things. And sometimes that's that little victory that you focus on one day at a time. Fifth is we got to focus on the people who help, not hinder. Let's go back to that haters comment from earlier, right? If you've got haters, people that are holding you down and holding you back, you need to get rid of those people and hang out with people who are good, positive influences. If you're an alcoholic and you're constantly hanging out with other alcoholic friends and you really want to get sober but they keep pulling you back to drinking, maybe it's time to rethink your friend group. Or if you're really bad at gossiping, come on. And every time you get with that group of friends, they're always... Talking about somebody, chirping about somebody, talking behind somebody's back. Nothing that they would ever say to their face or confront them about because, it, you know, they don't think it's that big of a deal. We're just talking. And you really want to get rid of that? It's probably time to rethink your friend group. You got to focus on people who help, not hinder. Sixth is we got to focus on progress, not perfection. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? You can't destroy 15 bad negative character defects all at once. you got to take it one bite at a time, and that's progress, not perfection. And most of you noticed I said seven, but only listed six. The last step was and is the most impactful one for me. And I'm wondering if there's someone in here, someone watching online, who feels the same way. And I know this is going to seem a little premature, but I'm going to ask the band to come up as I close with a story. Almost, and I wrote all this down because I don't know if I'll make it through it. Um, Almost four years ago, my wife, Andy, and I's lives were changed forever. We started foster care as eager 23-year-olds, hoping to make a difference in a couple kids' lives. We were naive excited, terrified, but trusting. And we decided to take in a three-week-old baby around Christmas one year. And I'll avoid using her name and simply call her B. Now, let me be honest. I did not, I did not want kids Yet, I did not want a three-week-old baby. I didn't want the responsibilities and the new set of problems to deal with. I barely knew my wife. We just bought a house. We're in the middle of tearing out old carpet and installing new flooring. We had a leak in the back room, bills to pay, two full-time jobs to upkeep. It was a lot. Don't ask me why we did it that way, but that's just the way it all shook out. But we took in this kid, hoping God would do something incredible. And I still remember actually telling Andy, I don't really feel anything for her yet. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen eventually. And so slowly over time, we've got this three-week-old kid who turns into a four-week-old, who turns into a two-month-old, who turns into a six-month-old, who turns into a year-old, and we're celebrating birthdays, and we're having just stuff go on, and we're bonding with this little girl. And there for a time, we didn't hear from her biological parents, so like we weren't sure what was going to happen. But fast forward to May of 2021, roughly, when we were told that the parents were doing well enough to reintegrate. That's just a fancy word for the girl to go back home. And in less than six months, this little girl who I had fallen head over heels for, who I loved with my whole heart like she was my own, was taken away from us and she was given back to her biological parents which praise god for good biological parents but the horror story that keeps you from going into foster care that happened to us and i don't even really know how to explain my feelings at the time march 26 2022 that was our d day that's the day we took her to her bio parents for the last time after visits We were numb, exhausted, on the verge of tears. We found out Andy was pregnant not a week later and what should have been this extremely joyous celebration was laced with pain and uncertainty and anger and deep, deep, deep sadness. More than anything I can explain. And the last step in the seven ways to cooperate with God as he heals you is to focus on doing good not focus on feeling good. I told Andy I never want to do foster care again. I don't want to be a part of a system that's willing to treat kids this way. I don't want to go through this pain again. I don't want to. But Andy couldn't shake the thought that maybe she'd come back into care and she'd need us. So I reluctantly let her talk me into renewing our foster care license. And although we took a break from fostering for a while, God and my amazing wife wouldn't let us say no to kids in need. And believe me, she felt just as much or more of the pain that I did. And so April 21st, 2022, we get a call that this little girl is coming back into care. And I was floored. I I was reminded of the trauma we experienced just over a year earlier, the trauma of what felt like losing our own child, of learning how to parent our our daughter, our one-year-old who lost a sister, of being new parents, knowing that we had to leave another kid behind. We said yes, because how could we say no? But there was this voice inside of me the whole time screaming, no, don't do it. This does not feel good. The same thing could happen that happened last time. None of this is certain. There's no way to say that they won't do the same thing this time that they did last time. In six months, she could be with you and she could be gone. All of which is undeniably true. And when you're facing your hurt, when you're facing that habit, that hang-up, that character defect, no doubt... There will be a voice on days screaming at you to give in, to say no, to go back to the pornography, to go back to the drug, to go back to holding that grudge or that resentment, to go back to continuously yelling at your kids. Forget healing. It hurts too much. But there is hope in doing the right thing, no matter how much it feels like it's going to cost you. Because if you wait to feel like doing the right thing, you will never truly try to get healing. You just have to trust that eventually your feelings are going to catch up. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this, but keep going. You're on the cusp of the transformation that God wants to work in your life. He's been working on you through the power of His Spirit. And it may just be one more day until the change finally feels right. The prodigal son undeniably felt awkward as his father lavished him with love, a ring, a robe, and welcomed him without strings back into his family. But I wonder what happened after. You know, there's this story of this prodigal son. He's he's being lavished with love and compassion. Right? And I'm wondering if he groveled and begged and hung his head for weeks as he tried to feel like he's earned his place back into the family. I can imagine the the dance party that they're having and the prodigal son not knowing if he should go out there and bust a move because he's excited to be welcomed back into his family. Or if he simply slouched and shrugged his head and wondered how he could work his way back into his father's grace. And so there's one thing each of us have in our mind as we think about a character defect, a flaw, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up. And I want us to, to, to think about this concept and submit that one thing that you want God to change today. Don't 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 do it don't do it tomorrow don't think about putting it off until next week do it today The best day to start something new is today If you continue to put it off and continue to put it off, that hurt, that habit, that hang-up, that character defect, that flaw, that thing that keeps getting you in trouble, it will continue to hold on to you and it will continue to scream at you, don't change. Don't go seek for healing. Don't go after God. Don't do the thing that's going to give you the, the fulfillment, the satisfaction in your heart that you so long for. Submit it to God today. This message, I think, is for that person who doesn't want to, who's afraid to change or feel like it's it's wrong. But my challenge to you is to not let those feelings hold you captive. Get out of the pig pen. Come home to the Father and let him transform you into the person he knows that you are. If you've got that thing on your mind and you feel like you need to come pray about it at the altar, do it. If you need to stay at your seat and pray about it at your seat, do it. If there's a person next to you that you trust and you love, let them pray for you. Let them in. Let them feel the pain with you. That's what it's about, to bear someone else's burdens. But don't walk away from this today letting that that thing that torments you day in and day out stay there and scream at you that it doesn't need to change Because God wants to work that transformation in you and turn you into the person that he knows and he created you to be. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the goodness. Thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that as we start to dig up some of that dirt that's in our heart, that pain, that hurt, those feelings of uncertainty, that uncomfortableness, Lord, I pray that you would remind us not to wait on our feelings, but to do the good anyway. God, we love you and we're so grateful for your presence today. In Jesus' name.